Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, good evening. Good to see all of you here. Uh, I keep my lawnmower in a small storage shed in my backyard. It's a riding mower. And this spring I went out to uh, get the mower out, and I noticed that uh, on a shelf right in the back of the shed, just at eye level when I'm sitting on the mower, uh, there was a bird nest. And uh, so I mowed the yard and went back the next week, get the mower out, and there were six eggs uh, in the nest. And uh, so I went out the next week to mow the yard, and there were six baby birds in the nest. And I, uh, I was excited about the nest and the birds. I mean, the mother was a, a cute little, uh, they call it a Buick Wren. And uh, the baby birds, they had that cute, ugly, ugly, cute thing going on, you know. Where, uh, and uh, so I, I was happy to share my shed with, uh, with the birds. St. Francis of Assisi was one of the great saints of the church, and he was known for his love of animals. And you often see paintings and statues of him uh, with birds. So I was kind of seeing myself like St. <laughs> Francis. And uh, this week I went out to mow, and the nest is empty. And so now I'm an empty nester. Uh, but when I started up the mower, I realized that the birds had left the nest, but they hadn't left the shed. And uh, they had just were perched all around the shed, and the sound of the mower startled them, and suddenly the air is filled uh, with birds. And they're baby birds, so they don't know how to fly real good, so they're smacking into the walls, and they're flying into my chest, and into my face, and into my ear. And so I went from being St. Francis, uh, Francis of Assisi to being Tippy Hedren in uh, the movie The Birds. <laughs> and... Uh, I finally got the mower backed out and uh, escaped, and the, the birds, they all flew out. And actually, I've seen them around the yard. They're all doing fine. I'm okay, too. And uh, <laughs> that story has nothing to do with the sermon. I just wanted you to know what I'm up against. Uh, we're in the second week of our sermon called, What Time Is It?, and that's a question many people are asking as we look at world events, as we look at natural disasters, acts of terror, uh, technology advancing quickly, powerfully, ominously, uh, nations uh, turning away from uh, the truth, uh, the church itself moving into what we call apostasy, where the church denies the word of God, denies the power of God. I mean, uh, the nation of Israel, biblical prophecies are being fulfilled. People are asking, what time is it? Uh, are, are we nearing the end? Are, are we at the end of the end or the beginning of the end? Uh, what's going on? So last week, uh, Pastor Ryland uh, looked at the simple truth that Jesus is returning. Uh, he is coming back for his people. We are not forgotten. We are not forsaken. Uh, we are on the winning side and being faithful to God, even in the midst of our trials and tribulations and even our doubts, being faithful to God matters. Now, tonight I want to talk to you about after Jesus returns, uh, God tells us that there are certain things that will happen. And so I want to talk to you about God's vision for your future. What does God have in store for you at the end of time? 
Uh, Hebrews 9, 27, 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So in your future... You, you have an appointment. You have an appointment with death and you have an appointment with judgment. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you also have a reward in heaven waiting for you. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are awaiting suffering in hell. I want us to look at the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22. Jesus says, look... I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I will give to each person according to what they have done. There is a judgment. There is a reckoning coming for each one of us. Now, if you're new to Christianity, I want to be very, very, very clear about this. We do not get into heaven by doing good things. The only way we can enter heaven is through our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't get into, into heaven because of what we do for Christ. We get into heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so as a Christian, your good works do not qualify you for heaven. But your good works do determine the rewards you will receive in heaven. Uh, let me say that again, because honestly, believers get this mixed up. A as Christians, your good works do not qualify you for heaven. But your good works do determine the rewards that you will receive in heaven. Now, how and when and where will our rewards uh, be determined? Well, it happens at an event called the judgment seat of Christ. And this judgment happens right after the return of Christ for the church. At Christ's return, the dead in Christ, all those believers who have died, will rise from the grave. And the believers who are alive at that time are going to be raptured. That's a theological term that we use. So the dead believers, their bodies are resurrected into new glorified bodies. If you are alive at that time, your body will be transformed, changed, raptured into a new glorified body. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, it says not all of us will die, but all of us will be changed. In a moment, faster than an eye can blink at the sound of the last trumpet, indeed that trumpet will sound and then the dead will be raised, never to decay, and we will be changed. So at, that, at, the, at the rapture, the dead in Christ are raised, those who are living are transformed. And then all of those believers are judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be there. You'll be there. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And the we there is believers. It's not everybody who's ever lived. It's believers. For we, believers, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so the judgment seat of Christ, that's a judgment for Christians only. 
And at that judgment, you're not judged to determine your salvation or damnation because your salvation has already been determined by your faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, the, the very fact that you are at that judgment means you're a believer in Jesus and you're headed into heaven. But you are going to be judged and rewarded for the good works that you've done here on earth. In that, in that setting, the bad works just burn up like wood, hay, and stubble, but the good works remain like gold, silver, and precious stones. And, and, and this judgment seat, uh, the Greek word uh, translated as judgment seat there is the word bema, B-E-M-A. And the bema seat is not, uh, it's not the seat where the judge sits to issue a verdict of guilty or innocent. It's not that kind of seat. The Bema seat is where the judge would issue awards after the Greek athletic games. So it's kind of an Olympic uh, image. So after a race, after an event, the judge would sit on the Bema seat and he'd say, congratulations, here's the award for first place, second place, third place, fourth place, and so on. And so it's an award ceremony where people are rewarded for how they ran the race. It's not like going to court to determine if you're guilty or innocent. You've already been declared not guilty uh, when you trusted in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's already been determined that you're going to spend eternal life in heaven. This is a judgment for how you lived your life here on earth. And actually, it's a very joyous occasion for believers. It's an award ceremony. This is, this is the event where Jesus Christ gets to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Jesus is happy. We're happy. We're happy for one another. Uh, it, the end result of this is joy. Now, how will you be rewarded? At the Bema seat, uh, the runners were rewarded with crowns of olive leaves. The judge would place a crown of olive leaves uh, on their heads. And the Bible talks about several different crowns that we have the possibility of, of receiving when we get to heaven. 1 Corinthians 9 talks about the incorruptible crown for, uh, for believers. It says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So, so the runners in the Greek games, they, they would do all this training in order to do their best in order to try and win. They would discipline their bodies. They would practice self-control. They did it all to win a wreath of olive leaves. It, it was a, a, a crown that's going to wilt and wither and dry up. You know, earthly trophies don't last. Uh, go to a thrift store and you can buy a trophy for a buck. Okay? Yet how much time and energy do we put into trying to win a trophy? And you know, we, we want our kid to win first prize. We want our team to be number one. We want to win. But those trophies, those crowns, they are perishable. They are corruptible. But the crown that we will receive in heaven, it's an incorruptible, incorruptible perishable crown it's not subject to decay it's enduring it's indestructible and so because of that Paul says therefore I run in such a way as not without aim 
I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, he's not saying I'm going to be disqualified and not get into heaven. That's already been decided. The question now is, is are you going to get these crowns? And so Paul says, I don't run without aim. You've heard of running cross. Anybody run cross country in here? Okay, yeah, a couple of you have, yeah. You know, cross country, that, that actually comes, it's a Latin term, it comes from two different words. The first word is craw, which means to run. And the second word is scuntry, which means for no reason. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's actually a joke. But Paul says, I'm not just running around willy-nilly. Okay? I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just beating the air. He says, I'm not shadow boxing here. Uh, he says, I, I discipline my body. I make it my slave because I want to win this crown. And so that's a good question to ask yourself. Who's in control of you? Are you in control of your body or is your body in control of you? And Paul says, I discipline my body. I make it my slave so I won't be disqualified from this crown. He says, I'm in the race to win it. I'm in this fight to win it. And so you and I, we need to ask, are we in it to win it? You know, too many believers are just playing around with the Christian life. And if you squander the opportunities that you're given, it means you're going to miss out on that reward. You don't get the prize. Well, I want it. I want you to win it. I want us to have it. And how you live matters. Next is the crown of righteousness for those who long for Christ's return. 2 Timothy 4. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. That's the judgment seat of Christ. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. If, if you long for the return of Christ, you're going to get a crown for that. And that may seem like an easy crown to get. All you got to do is long for Jesus Christ to come back. But I just want to warn you that there are too many Christians who aren't longing for Jesus Christ to come back. They're too in love with what's happening here and now. They love the things of earth more than they love the things of heaven. They got their priorities turned upside down, and it's going to cost them their reward. Next, the crown of life for those who suffer for Christ. Not just suffer, but suffer for Christ. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Those who endure hardship for Christ are going to receive a crown. Those people around the world today who are persecuted, martyred, killed for the sake of Christ, they're going to, they're going to receive a crown. And there are a bunch of other crowns, several crowns, as you, as you read through Scripture. And so for Christians, how you live on earth determines how you're going to be rewarded in heaven. Now, in the future, there are two judgments, and there are also two resurrections. And the, the first resurrection is for those who are, who are in Christ. We just talked about that one. That's called the resurrection of the righteous. 
And their judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you're in that group. Now, the second resurrection and the second judgment is for non-Christians. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, you're in this group. And that's known as the resurrection of the dead. And the judgment is the great white throne judgment. And this takes place right before God establishes the new heaven and the new earth, right before he establishes our final destination. And and this judgment doesn't determine the rewards that you get in heaven. This judgment determines the level of punishment that you're going to receive in hell. Okay, you've got to understand this. Everybody who gets into heaven doesn't get the same thing. There, there There are degrees of reward there. We are rewarded according to how we've lived. The same is true in hell. Everybody in hell doesn't get the same punishment. And you know, you'll talk to people sometimes. I have family and friends who weren't believers in Jesus Christ, and, and it grieves me that they're in hell. But, but I also know that they're not going to be in a cell with Hitler. Okay? Now, honestly, it's not going to matter much to them, but it reflects the just nature of God that that's the case. Because, listen, you know, I don't care what cell you're in, you do not want to go to hell. I mean, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I don't mind going to hell. That's where all my friends will be. You know, I'd rather be in hell with all my friends than be in heaven. You know, hell is not a party with your friends. Hell is not where you go to sin. Hell is where you go because of sin. And it's not people dancing and drinking and laughing and playing cards. That's not what hell is like. You know, if you want to picture a room full of your friends and everybody is laughing, drinking, playing cards, and suddenly the room is on fire forever. And nobody's dancing, nobody's having a good time, everybody is screaming in pain, trying to escape forever. That's hell. And if you trust in Jesus Christ, you don't have to go there. Now, what will heaven be like? Uh, you know, are we just going to sit? You know, again, we have a, a misperception on this. We're, we just think we're going to sit there and watch fat, naked baby angels play harps on clouds for eternity. <laughs> and uh, I had a joke about that being a couple of staff members, but I'm not going to do that. But what, what is heaven going to be like? Well, John had a vision of this in Revelation 21. And he gives us three, gives us more, but there's three specific descriptions of what heaven will be like. First, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So what happens? God establishes a new heaven and a new earth. And so I want you to notice that our final destination is not just heaven, It's a new heaven and a new earth. And the new earth will be just like the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment where they were in perfect fellowship, a perfect relationship with one another and with God before it was ruined by sin. So if you read the first chapters of Genesis and you read the last two chapters of Revelation, you will see remarkably the the correlation between uh, this... uh, the Garden of Eden, and this new heaven and new earth. And so a lot of what we enjoy here on this earth is going to be what we enjoy in heaven, but just indescribably better. 
I mean, just think about your, your favorite place, a favorite moment that you enjoyed here on earth. Uh, you know, this is a picture of uh, one of our vacations on Lake Huron. Uh, that was a nice moment. In fact, I often pull out this picture and go there because that's my happy place. Okay? And, uh, you know, but the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what our God has prepared for those who love him. And so God is going to establish a new heaven and a new earth beyond your wildest imagination. I mean, can you imagine life without sin? Second, you will never suffer again. John gives this promise in Revelation 21.4. He says, He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And those of you, those of you who hurt right now, that you hurt physically, you hurt emotionally, whatever pain and suffering you are feeling in the new heaven, in the new earth, you won't have that anymore. You got a loved one who's suffering uh, with pain and, and, and hurt, uh, they're not going to suffer anymore if they're in heaven. All of that is going to be done away with. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk again. You will never, ever suffer again. I can't wait. Okay. Number three, you will live with God forever. Revelation 21.3 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and, and that phrase, uh, voice from the throne, uh, is, occurs 20 times in, in Revelation. This is the final time that phrase is written. This is the final declaration from the throne. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's as if God is saying, finally, it's restored. Finally, it's back to the way I created it, back to the way I meant for it to be. My children are with me and I am with them. You know, there, there were five kids in my family. I'm the youngest, and my older brother Dennis was the middle child, and he served in Vietnam. And so as a family, we fretted and stewed and prayed for him for two years while he was gone. And when he came home, the whole family got together for a big family party. And at one point, we were in my grandma's house. We're all crammed in there, and we're all laughing and talking and eating and playing games and having a good time. And I look over, and my mom has fallen asleep in her chair. Now, my mom never took a nap, never. But right in the middle of all that activity of this homecoming party, mom had fallen asleep. And I looked at her and I thought, that is the soundest sleep this woman has had in two years. Why? Because everybody was home. Everybody was where they were supposed to be. And God says, that's what it's going to be like in heaven. My children are with me. They will dwell with me. I will be their God. They will be my people. will be forever. And this is the way I want it. But it starts out with you trusting in Jesus Christ, standing before Jesus Christ at the Bema seat. You stand before the one who is crowned with thorns so he can give you a crown of righteousness and open up the heaven that he's prepared for you. But here's the problem. 
Most people today believe that heaven is the default destination. Most people today, even many Christians, believe that when people die, they, they go to heaven unless they did something really, really bad. You know, Uncle Joe, he wasn't much of a churchgoer or a religious person. He never indicated that he believed in Jesus, but he was a pretty good old boy, except for that one thing we never talk about. And Uncle Joe's been pretty sick these last few years, and so we're just thankful that Uncle Joe's in a better place now. He's in a better place now. And we tell ourselves that to make ourselves feel better when someone we love dies. But the Bible clearly tells us that heaven is not the default destination. Hell is. We're not all headed to heaven unless we do something really bad and disqualify ourselves. The truth is we're all headed to hell unless Jesus Christ saves us. Unless we cry out and ask him to save us. Jesus said, said this in Matthew 7, 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus says most people are headed to hell, not heaven. That's the default. And too many people believe that heaven is the default destination when really there are lots of people traveling on the broad path headed to the true default destination, which is hell. And there's a judgment, a final judgment on your, on your notes. It's called the great white throne judgment. And Christians will not be judged, uh, judged here. This is a judgment for non-Christians, for non-believers. You know, how you live as a believer matters, how you live as an unbeliever matters as well. And th this is how John describes the great white throne judgment. He says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. You're, you're, nobody's going to hide from this one. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. God is keeping account. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If anyone's sins have not been covered by the blood of Christ, if anyone has not responded to the grace of God, if anyone is judged according to their works alone, their name's not written in the book of life, they're thrown into the lake of fire. That's the default destination. Now, many times when we hear this, our response is, that's not fair. That's not fair. But let's talk about what's, what's really not fair. Okay? Have you ever known someone who hurt someone else severely and they weren't held accountable for their actions? You know, what happens when we see that take place? You know, you look at that and you say, well, that's not fair. They, they should pay. You know, you see somebody who does some injustice to someone else and they get away with no consequences. We th that's not fair. Someone, they need to pay for that. Someone ought to pay for that. And that's exactly what happens at the great white throne judgment. God takes all the sins that people have committed throughout all history and he says, it's time to pay up. 
Those sins weren't covered by the blood of Jesus Christ who paid for the sins of the believers. I mean, not only is that fair, it's what we call justice. You, you want to know what's not fair? What's not fair is where those of us who are Christians stand before the one who wore a crown of thorns and he gives us a crown of righteousness. That's not fair. Because you and I deserve the lake of fire. And the only reason we don't wind up in the lake of fire is because Jesus Christ took our punishment upon himself. He was innocent. We are guilty. Yet he paid for our sins on the cross. I'm the guilty one. It's not fair that he suffered on my behalf. It's not fair that his blood covers my sin. It's not fair I get to go into heaven. It's not fair that I get rewarded. That's why it's called the gospel, which means good news. That's That's why when Jesus Christ puts a crown on my head, I will thank God that he is not fair. I don't want fair. I want grace and mercy. And I find that through my faith in Jesus Christ. And because of his grace and mercy, I want to live a life worthy of his rewards. So I want to ask you, do you truly want to live a life on earth worthy of his rewards in heaven? Are you running the race to receive a crown? You know, I want my life on earth to bring glory to him throughout all eternity. I want my life here to be worthy of the life he offers me there. And it's time to make a decision that I want to pursue those rewards. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. You've never cried out to him to save you. And you're doing the best you can. You're trying to be a good person. But the Bible clearly tells you, you are never going to be good enough for God's perfection. You're never going to measure up. And that's why God pleads with you. That's why I plead with you to cry out to Jesus Christ and ask him to save you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell, from the lake of fire. Let's pray together. Some of you right now, internally, there, there may be some spiritual discomfort. And you hear this message and you're a bit unsettled. And you're thinking, if I stood before God today, what, what kind of judgment am I going to face? And the good news is that if you call on Jesus Christ, he will save you. You turn from your sin, you turn toward Christ. I don't care what you've done. He doesn't care what you've done. He'll forgive every sin. He'll make you brand new. And your name will be written in his book of life. Today, this moment, right now, is the moment of your salvation. Just say, Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Save me. Make me new. Give me that eternal life that you offer to those who believe in you. And if you're a believer tonight, what a glorious offer God makes to us as we trust in Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We're bound for heaven. Father, I pray that each one of us will run our race to receive a great heavenly reward. May we each hear Jesus Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
enter into the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.